Let's pretend that this isn't advice. And I'm Erin, and I'm not giving you advice. It's it's not advice. I can't help myself <laughs> give advice. I don't mean to. I don't want to. I want you to be able to live your life, but I know how to do it. I'm a huge know-it-all, and this is where I practice not giving advice to people. Except I totally give advice to them. I'm a lawyer turned professional certified coach, and I just happen to give the best advice. But this is a podcast, not a coaching session, so I obviously don't do that here, except I do. This is not advice with Erin Conlon, your know-it-all lawyer coach friend. This is not advice. On this week's episode, I talk with Colleen Brennan. Um, Colleen is a comedian, a writer, a producer, a podcaster, a speech pathologist, a mom, and just a freaking delight. Uh, We talk about CBS Sunday morning and volunteering for prisons and all sorts of things. One of my big takeaways in this conversation was the moment in our lives when we say fuck it and we go do what we actually want to do is actually the moment where we really acknowledge that our lives matter. Uh, another takeaway that I had in this conversation was, if you want to get anything done, don't do it alone. I just noticed how much partnership Colleen has all over her life, and it makes me go, where else can I create that for myself? Um, and I think the third takeaway that I have is, like, If you are fun to be around, fun things will happen for you. So I hope that you get a lot out of this episode, and I can't wait to hear your feedback. Also, I am starting a group coaching program uh, in the beginning of October. And if you have any interest in learning about group coaching and what it is that I do, I would love to hear from you. Just shoot me an email or go to my website and book a 30-minute call with me, and we can talk about what might be available for you. Have a great day. Hi, Colleen. Hi, Erin. How are you? I'm so good. How are you? I'm good. So much. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah, I'm going to say good. Okay. Okay. Well, what has you, like, in a sunny mood? Uh, It's Friday, and uh, weekends are are glorious times (laughs) I love weekends. <laughs> really? Why? Um, it just, I've never gotten over, I think as an adult, I've never gotten over that feeling you get at three o'clock on a Friday when you're a kid and school is out. <laughs> like, I, that feeling has persisted with me every Friday since childhood. Um, my dirty secret is that that feeling starts on Thursday. <laughs> <laughs> Like Fridays are throwaway days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean it would be I mean now I feel like even on Wednesday I start getting a little excited. <laughs> oh God. I don't know if I've told this story before on this podcast, but when I was um when I was like in my mid twenties, I used to do this boot camp at Lincoln Park mm-hmm. at six o'clock in the morning every day, Monday through Friday. Wow. And there was one day where the trainer was like, we're doing burpees. And she's like, just get through these 50 burpees. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. You're halfway through the week. And I had this moment where I was like, oh, I don't want to live my life. Like where I'm just waiting to be halfway through the week. (laughs) So that I can get to a weekend so I can rest from the life that I have. That is so exhausting and terrible during the week. (laughs) just awful. <laughs> I can't believe I'm laughing, but it's true. You know, I, it was just one of the, well, it was back when I was a lawyer too. Yeah. I was a young lawyer and I hated it. I was stressed out. I didn't. Anyway, I think that shaped it because now I appreciate the weekends for what they are, mm-hmm. but I don't feel like a weekend warrior. I get it. Where you, like you got to get it all done in the weekend because you're not going to live <laughs> between yeah. Monday and Monday. <laughs> There's no life between Monday at 6 a.m. and Friday at 4 p.m. Yeah. Yeah. That's, but I, but I, 
it's a weird transition though when you leave college or grad school and you go to start working because I do feel like you're such a grunt at that stage in your life. Oh, you're such a grunt. And I'm looking at I have one son who um, just started his junior year of college, and I'm looking at him and uh, I'm like, live as much as you can right now because. <laughs> Everyone says your 20s are fun. Your 20s fucking suck. They're horrible. I really, like I had, uh, 20s were good, but they were horrible. They were equally good and horrible. There was no, there was no in between. No, you're like raging, having the best time, or you're like dead inside. Yes, exactly. (laughs) And all in the same day. (laughs) It's exhausting. Okay, well, before we go down this rabbit hole some more... Who are you, Colleen Brennan? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's such a good, you know, Aaron, it's a question I've been asking myself for years. Um, (laughs) I am, uh, well, I'll give you what, like, I put on my website. I am a stand-up comedian, writer, actor, producer, mother, wife, and pediatric speech-language pathologist. Which one of those do you identify with most? I didn't realize this would be so difficult. Um, you know, it's a deep, lighthearted conversation. What can I say? I don't um which one do I identify with most? Okay, I'm gonna say actor just because that's what I've since I was a child always wanted. So I didn't have children when I was a child. And I wasn't <laughs> doing stand-up when I was a child, and I didn't know what a producer was when I was a child. And so I'm gonna say actor. Yeah. What um how would you describe yourself outside of the billion things that you do? Um, I guess I would say that, uh, wow, okay, how would I describe myself? <laughs> it's so funny. I ask my, I ask my patients this sometimes. I'm like, describe yourself. Um, and they struggle, and now I know why. Um, <laughs> so um, I would say I am a warm, fuzzy hug who loves laughing. I think that's pretty accurate. Yeah. Nice, nice self-awareness. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I want everybody to feel good. I want to feel good. And I want to talk about fun things. Yeah. What is the most fun thing you want to talk about in the moment right now? What Right now? Mm-hmm. Ooh, what's fun? I don't know. I like to see where a conversation leads, you know? Mm. Yeah, I get it. Like, well, usually I end up talking about one thing and it will probably eventually turn into at least one tiny rant about the patriarchy. That's fine. <laughs> That's fun. I guess it's fun too. <laughs> and then also like, you know, because I'm a coach now, it's always like, what is your big vision for your life? So let's just start there, Colleen. What do you want your life to look like? Okay. So my vision board, I, which is in my head, I visualize my vision board. I don't actually have it. We need to talk about that because you got to actually put that on paper. I know. It's one of those things I've been meaning to do. <laughs> do I need to have like a drinking and vision boarding workshop where... <laughs> now that sounds right up my alley. <laughs> maybe, I, maybe I'll do that. All right. Okay. That's so really your cool. vision board that you haven't okay. done. So I, um, I would like to be able to transition from working um, almost full-time in my day job to making my entertainment job my full-time career. It's lucrative. (laughs) It's personally satisfying. I get to work with people who I am inspired by, who love to work and collaborate to create amazing TV or podcasts or media, hosting, um, myself doing these things, Um, performing stand-up when I want to, and not on a hectic, crazy schedule that makes me feel stressed out. So more so stand up on my terms. Um, yeah. And, and being able to involve my family, my, my kids and my husband in as much of this as possible as they want to be involved in. Does like, what do they want to be involved in? So my oldest, so Aaron, I know you know this, um, but I have a podcast myself 
um, that my oldest son actually created the theme music for and he sound edits with me. Oh, I know. So that was like, that was sort of a manifestation of one of my lifelong dreams was to like work on a show with one of my kids. And he actually wanted to do it. I wasn't like, Michael, hey, hey, will you do this for me? I'm your mom. You kind of have to. He's really like, he. he's like, yeah, I could use that as a credit, uh, you know, for my portfolio or whatever. He's a, he switched to uh, communications as his major this year. And uh, he's really good at it. I mean, I'm not just saying that because I'm his mom. Because I honestly am one of those parents who tell their kids, like, when it's not working, I'm like, eh. <laughs> There's no trophy for this kid. <laughs> I'm never going to lie to you. It's never going to help you grow. <laughs> but he's good at this. This is really nice. So, um, so yeah. Talk about your podcast. I love your podcast. I oh, love the idea you. of it. I think it's just – it's so niche and perfect and fun. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. Thank you. Um, so our podcast is called Defending Indiana. And it's, I, I, I guess I'm going to tell you a little bit of how it was, the, like how I came up with the idea. So, you know, for years, when you're a stand-up comedian here in Chicago, one of the topics of jokes can be the state of Indiana because it's so easy to dump on something, right? And yeah. that's great. I dump totally. on Indiana regularly. <laughs> However... I start to get a little annoyed when people dump on it because they're dumping on it and they don't really understand it. And I feel like totally. And this is something, you know, my podcast co-host Janice Rodriguez and I say, uh, it's it's like a sibling. Like we can make fun of our siblings. But if you try to make fun of my sibling, we're gonna have a serious problem. <laughs> so um, so that was sort of the spirit in which it was created. And I did mm-hmm. think to myself, so what are the what are some of the stereotypes that people have about a place? Um, and how can we look at those stereotypes, enjoy them from a humorous angle, right. and then actually dispel them or confirm them? I mean, because there, there's a possibility that some of these things are true, but are mm-hmm. they 100% true? And, you know, in this world that we live in, where we define everything on an end of a spectrum instead of somewhere in the middle? Maybe what we need to start thinking about is what the middle looks like. And so that's sort of the spirit in which we created it. Um, so perfect because Indiana is a middle state. So it is. taking a look at the center of America. Erin, it's the crossroads of America. <laughs> <laughs> it's just. The thing with Indiana is if you live in Chicago and you want to go anywhere other than Wisconsin mm-hmm. or Iowa, mm-hmm. you have to go through Indiana. Yep. And not, <laughs> unfortunately, if, if you're from Chicago and you have to go through Indiana, and let's say you're heading due east, like you're not passing through what I consider to be the best of Indiana. Like, no, definitely not. Definitely no. not the best of Indiana. And I have to tell you, when we were driving through, you know, because I grew up, I grew up, um, I grew up on the north like the very northern border of Indiana and Michigan City, Indiana. Like Michigan City, which is like a city... <laughs> City named for another state. That's how great. Indianans are like, we'll just name this city over over this other beautiful state over here. I'm from Michigan, so I'm just going (laughs) to lord that. What if we tried to confuse people? (laughs) Michigan City, Indiana, Michigan. I'm Lake Michigan. Exactly. So, um, So to get from Michigan City to Chicago, you know, we had to go through uh, Gary and all those places. And uh, I just remember sitting in the back seat of my parents' car, just holding my nose for for, <laughs> for my brother would lean over and he'd be like, "Just breathe out of your mouth." Just- <laughs> but it, so I remember, like I, so I was in Michigan until 2006 when I moved here. Mm-hmm. I also lived in Chicago in between law school and undergrad. Mm-hmm. So in the early aughts, you know, back in the the, the before times. Yes. Gary smelled terrible. Terrible. It doesn't smell terrible anymore. No. no. It could also be because it's a dying, dying rust belt <laughs> industry I area. Think, look, there's benefits to everything. There are. 
100%. (laughs) And if the benefit to Gary dying, the Gary's industry dying, is that we can all breathe. Yeah. Maybe it was bad industry. Maybe. And maybe there are jobs in cleaning it up. Ah! Just saying. Have you heard of, there's a place in, I think it's Montana, where like it was a mining town and they just destroyed the environment and they've spent the past 30 years cleaning it up and like the jobs cleaning it up are way better than the jobs that were there for mining. Oh, for sure. Without I saw it on CBS Sunday Morning, which is one of my favorite television shows. I record it every <laughs> Sunday. I am the biggest dork. Sometimes I get up early to watch it. <laughs> I, I just like being able to fast forward through the 10 million blocks of commercials. There is a commercial after every single story. Like there, it's so. Biz- I do think that's a little bizarre. It's an hour and a half show, but really, if you're fast forwarding through all the commercials, it ends up being like forty five minutes. Yep, it's exactly forty five minutes. <laughs> I mean, you okay. got to pay the bills. I get it. What do you love most about CBS Sunday Morning? Oh, the artwork. <laughs> happy sons. Oh, I just love that they do every, see, you know what? See, that's what I've always wanted to do. I have always wanted to be like a course, but I want to be Mo Rocca. I want to be Faith Saley. I want to be somebody who could like get in there, do a great, intelligent, focused story that's also like informative, but really entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how I find all of those. All I think I find I think every single one of those seg- segments, regardless of whether or not they're talking about how they uh, are paving the state of Indiana or whether they're interviewing, you know, George Clooney. Which, by the way, I watched his interview twice, and um, it, I think they make everything entertaining. It's like Terry Gross with Fresh Air. I've listened. To, that's also one of my favorite shows. And so I'll listen to her interview on NPR. Any guest, and I'm like damn, she's making it interesting. Like, I didn't think this one was going to go well. But she found a way to make me feel like I'm engaged and interested in this topic. Okay. Who were you most surprised by when you were listening to Terry Gross interview them? Oh, that's such a good question. Let me think for a second. I'm trying to think of what I've heard recently. There, there was a guy who talked about the CIA... And and I was and I downloaded it because like the topic sort of looked interesting, but I was like, this could be terrible. But it was about how the CIA had he wrote a book about it. The the drug, oh my god, this is ridiculous that I'm stumbling over this right now, trying to think of it. The CIA had secret LSD mm. uh, experiments yeah. that they did on prisoners, and like Wyden Bolger, do you remember him? The, yeah, the yeah, yeah, maniac the, from Boston, yeah. They actually did it on him for a year straight. Shut up. They and gave him Whitey Bulger tripping. Every, yeah. Every when he was in federal prison, they gave him LSD every day for a year. Now, apparently the the prisoners and whatnot had to like sign a consent form, but they had no idea what they were getting into. It wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't presented to them as, hey, we're gonna give you psychedelic drugs. We're not gonna know how that's gonna work and it could potentially like damage you for life. But yeah. And so they were using prisoners and they were trying, there was this crazy uh, doctor who like, I think kitted himself into believing that he was doing good, but he was, he was basically trying to find out how the government could use psychedelics or any type of drug to influence other people. world leaders and people oh to be like God. agents, you know, like <laughs> Jason Bourne kind of stuff. <clears throat> anyway. It seemed like it would be very dry, and, and it, it ended up that. being fascinating. Oh, man. That's great. I know. So here's my question. If you had a federal life sentence, would you take drugs if the government was like, we're just going to give you drugs? Hmm. Don't know. Hard to put myself in that mindset. I don't. You know what? So I I actually volunteered at the Metropolitan Correctional Center here in Chicago to teach mm-hmm. women their comedy classes. And um, gosh, prison is a terrible place. I don't know mm-hmm. what mindset I would be in, honestly. 
I mean, like to break up the monotony of the day, I could say that, yeah, there's a chance that I'd agree to that's do kinda, it. That's what, I, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, oh man, if you're stuck in federal in federal prison, yeah. you're probably in solitaire or like if you're Whitey Bulger, you, you know, you're highly watched. Yeah. One, I'd probably say yes, just because like, what else am I going to do? Exactly. And then there's another part of me that's like, I don't know. I wouldn't want, I don't know if I'd want to give them any more. Yeah. Yeah. I just, uh, there's there, it was interesting. It was interesting when we, when we were doing the class, there were women who came to our comedy class who couldn't speak English and they were coming just to get out. You did know. they laugh? They did. I mean, I think, uh, you know, just in general, I think it was a relatively joyful experience. I mean, we mm-hmm. tried to make it joyful and we tried to make everybody feel good. But there was one woman who spoke broken English and, and there was another woman who spoke um, her language and so she would interpret for her. So that mm-hmm. worked. But then there was another woman who spoke zero English and nobody else spoke her language. Oh. And but she would just come and smile and laugh, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, you just must. This must be like. It must. It must be so miserable, <laughs> which I suppose people want prison to be on some end. But I mean, if you believe in rehabilitation, um, you know, you want to be able to provide people an option to look at their life and analyze it and figure out how they can do better. Well, that's." <laughs> So our prison system, I have many opinions on this yeah. as a former lawyer and yeah. whatnot. <clears throat> and what I notice is that our prison system is designed for the people on the outside. Yes. It's totally there to make other people yeah. feel better about the mistakes that other people have made. 100%. It's not about justice. Mm-mm. It's not about rehabilitation. Mm-mm. It's not even about punishment. Mm-mm. No, it's just like a receptacle, a locked up receptacle. Yeah. And it's, you know, it, it, I was so, when we started that, when I was approached about doing it, I was really afraid because I, uh, like wrongful imprisonment to me seems like the deepest level of human misery there could be, right? Mm. Wrongful imprisonment. And I just think of all the people and there are so many who are wrongfully imprisoned, right? And then, you know, you go to the next level, which is, you know, what what percentage of the prison was never really given a chance in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And to a certain extent, that's sort of like wrongful imprisonment too, because we kind of failed a lot of people. Yep. So um, so anyway, so when I went in for the first time, I, I kind of forced myself to do it. So it's like, I need to confront what is like sincerely one of my biggest fears. And... Um, it ended up being a very positive experience for me. I think I probably got way more out of it than the women did who I worked with, which feels incredibly selfish. But um, but I hope we were able to provide them with some joy, you know, in the middle of their week. Um, yeah, but uh, it was it was eye opening. It it solidified opinions that I already had, but it definitely broke up some of the fear. What were like what was what was so scary about it? I just I don't know. I think I just felt to a certain extent that there was like a maybe it was like a being stripped of humanity, right? Your yeah. dignity and your humanity. And then when I got there, I was like, you know what? No, people can still maintain their dignity and their humanity when they're here. It's harder. It is. I also think it sounds like there the fear is like I don't know. Sometimes I think we when we have that kind of fear of like I don't want to go there because it'll it'll suck. It's like an over empathization. I don't want to go there because that could be me. Yeah. Um, and maybe that's not an over empathize. Like maybe it's not over empathizing. And at the same time, like. How many things do we avoid in our lives because we don't want it to be us? Right. Yeah. Well said. <laughs> I think probably a lot. 
Probably. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, let's get back to your large vision of your life. Mm-hmm. What's the gap? Uh, I would say there are two. One, and and it's the most, you know, pragmatic, practical, is income, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I've been a stand-up comedian for over eight years now. And right before the pandemic hit, I had gotten to a place in my career where all of my shows were paid. And I was yes. nicely booked up yeah. through, you know, like June um, with the amount of shows that I really wanted, you know. And from so it was a pr- like starting to be what you wanted to live into. Yeah, exactly. Um, and shows, and I produce a lot of shows as well. And and you know, those aren't necessarily lucrative. Those are more for giving other people opportunities and giving myself opportunities. But but there were there were also some revenue streams there as well. Um, you know, and now that it's over, I feel like I'm kind of back crawling back up that hill again. So the, the, the pragmatic financials of that, you know, that's one of the obstacles. And I think the, the second obstacle, which I just sort of alluded to is opportunity. You know, I think, and I'm not using this as a crutch and I'm, I'm not at all complaining about this. I, I started stand up, uh, at 43. I have a background in music theater. I did improv. I did Second City's conservatory program when I was pregnant with my first kid, gave birth in the middle of our grad school showcases and went back on stage. Like, wow, I was dedicated um, because I really wanted to stretch myself and do it and get back on stage. But then what happened after I, I left is that, you know, I, I did improv for a little while. I, I, had like a non-union agent for a little while, did a few uh, commercial auditions and whatnot. And then I found out I was pregnant with my second child. And then like it all shut down because there was just no way to do everything. So my opportunities uh, were limited by the choices that I had made. So again, this isn't the world like, you can't do it. It's It was me. I made choices to be a mom. I I have my own private practice, which allows me flexibility um, in terms of work hours, which is great. It's a, yeah. it's a luxury actually. Um, but it didn't, you know, between those two things, it, it wasn't enough time to push myself and get out as much as I needed to. So. Well, I think that's something that, you know, I've talked to, I talked with Sharoop about it. I talked with Whitney about it, I think a little bit, which is that there is a grind associated with what people think mm-hmm. the comedy scene has to be. Yep. And a lot of this grind is based in show up at night to places where you are unpaid so mm-hmm. that people know your face mm-hmm. and you give the appearance of talent whether or not you actually have it. Yeah. And it really sucks. Yeah. For professionals mm-hmm. who have like, you know, committed commitment to their work mm-hmm. so that they have houses. Mm-hmm. And it also really sucks for like anyone who has anything other than just themselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it 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 it's not a world that's set up for women in their 40s raising children <laughs> while it's their not, husband is traveling for, for work. It's not set up for anybody. Like I <laughs> It is not set up for health. It is not yeah. set up for joy. It is yeah. not set up for fun. It is a terrible system for people who want to have fun. Yeah. <laughs> like makes zero sense. I I I had the I had the pleasure of seeing Tom Dreesen yesterday give mm-hmm. a talk. And oh my God, I just I'm in love with that man. He's who's amazing. Tom Dreesen? I don't know. Tom Dreesen um is a comedian who um, he and Tim Reed, who was <laughs> Venus Flytrap on WKRP in Cincinnati. Okay. <laughs> One of my favorite comedies. <laughs> anyway, uh, he, and, he and Tim Reed had the first ever um, black and white comedy duo. And they started on the South Side of Chicago and worked together and created an act with the two of them, traveled nationally. Really funny, great. 
And then uh, Tim Reed focused on acting and Tom Dreesen focused on stand-up. And, you know, they went their separate ways, still great friends. But Tom Dreesen had 61 appearances on The Tonight Show. And he uh, opened for Frank Sinatra for years and years and years. The guy is a legend. He he is like, you know, he's sort of the altar where people can lay their whatever you lay in front of the altar. (laughs) I mean, he's just... He's amazing. And he is a, a generous, lovely soul who is sharing insight and experiences with other, you know, comedians. Um, so I got to see him talk yesterday. And and to, to your point, to what we were discussing about opportunities and whatnot, you know, you really do have to make your own. And if you want, if you want this career, if you want this career in entertainment that's specifically focused on, say, stand-up. You have to be willing to accept that the choice that you're making is, you know, what a lot of people might consider a terrible choice. So the mm-hmm. love of what you're doing has to carry you. It and really if does. it doesn't, you know, then you make that decision. Do you love stand up? I love stand up sometimes. <laughs> <clears throat> I don't love it all the time. So um, it's, it's probably not enough to carry you. I, like I said, stand-up should be always part of what I do, but it shouldn't be the only thing I do. Yeah. And and I think that's, you know, that's where the disconnect tends to happen sometimes is, is that that life that you were talking about, that constant grind of being out every night and getting your face out every night, that that's real. And if you want to perform stand-up and you want to perfect your craft and you want to get paid for your gigs and you want to get on stage and do what you really does bring you joy in those situations, um, there's almost not an option for people who want to do it in the way that I want to do it. So that's why I'm just trying really hard to create my opportunities. And opportunities for others who feel the same way. Well, one thing, I've mentioned this before, but one thing that I really appreciate about the women in the Chicago comedy community Mm -hmm. is that we all kind of looked around and we're like, this isn't sustainable. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, with creating a network of support where it's like, okay, we'll create our own shows, we'll book each other. Yeah. And it will not be based upon... How many times do you come to this one open mic? Right. Yeah. And um, and early on, so I've never, so I've just as a as a as a person as a personality, I do not like people telling me what to do. So early on in life, what you don't <laughs> shut the front door, Colleen. I have such. I have such a terrible time with authority. I always have. If you tell me that I can't do it, I will prove you wrong as hard as I can. <laughs> to the detriment you, of my health. Is this how you safety. run a marathon? <laughs> well, Aaron said I couldn't run a marathon, so see you in October, dudes. Bye. <laughs> going to start eating pasta again. Um <laughs> I mean, so, would it be worth it? <laughs> yeah. Now I'm thinking about it. <laughs> hmm, if somebody tells me I can't eat pasta, maybe the best way to eat pasta is to start running a marathon. <laughs> anyway, twisted thinking. Um, uh, so yeah, so so I, you know, when I started my own practice, I was in speech pathology. I was 28 years old. That was a little nutty. People were like, "Really, you're starting your own practice?" I'm like, "I think I know how to do this. I think I know what I'm doing." And they were like, yeah, good luck. And I did great, you know, and I was happy. So I had already, so I'd already started like being like, yeah, I'm going to try this. And yeah, I'm going to try this. And it's, I had somebody say, well, aren't you afraid of failing? And I'm terrified of failing, which is why I'm uber prepared when I go into everything. Right. And I may mm-hmm. still fail, but at least I know if I've, if I have prepared everything as best as I can, then the failure is probably really valuable, you know, because I walked in thinking I had everything taken care of and I didn't. And it makes it easier for me to analyze what was potentially something that I had overlooked or what was environmental or do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So um, so when it came to stand up and performing, when I started, you know, after about the first year or two, I was like, I have to start creating some of those opportunities <laughs> because – 
Nobody else is going to do it. Yeah. For me. And it's been really, I think it's been really empowering to, um, to be able to choose a lineup that's balanced for gender, race, ethnicity, and give an audience sort of a smorgasbord as opposed to the same thing five times in a row in Uh 10 minute spurts. Colleen, (laughs) what show did you see that was like that? (laughs) (laughs) Name names, Colleen, name names. I'm still surprised every time I, and, and cause you still see it. I see lineups continuously where there's one woman and seven men. You know, it would be totally okay if it weren't the same seven men too. Yeah. Or seven men of the same age who all have the same viewpoint about like women and the government. It's like, ugh. And their penises. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so I, you know, so I feel good about what I've been able to accomplish and the people I've done it with. I, I haven't done anything alone. Um, it's always with a team. Um, and it's always, you know, shared effort and shared celebration, which just feels wonderful. Yeah. So one of the questions I was going to ask you is like, what, how are some of the ways that you get around stumbling blocks? And what I'm hearing is, you don't work alone Mm -hmm. and you try multiple things. Mm -hmm. Anything else? Um, Preparedness. And I study a lot. Um, I study others. I'm kind. There's, there's a, there's a big part of my personality that I have to sort of push down. And it's that like desire to show everybody I can do it. And by I can do it. I, I know what I'm doing and don't question me. But at the same time, remaining open and curious and constantly acknowledging that I don't know everything and I better surround myself with people who do. From one know-it-all to another. Yeah. (laughs) What is the value for you in being that way? Being a know-it-all? Being the, like, I can do this, don't get in my way. Yeah. Like, what does that give you? Um, I suppose independence and to a certain extent, uh, it's like, it's like, it's it's the same as stand up. It's like a drug. When you, when you do do it, it feels really good (laughs) when you're successful. Um, the, the downside though, is if it's not successful, that the, the amount of, um, self blame, can be crushing afterward. So mm-hmm. with great rewards come great sacrifice, I guess, you know? Yeah. Well, you said you tamp that part of your personality down. Like, yeah. why? <laughs> <laughs> um, What's wrong with it? That's such a good question. I, I want to, I want to be open and I want to hear. I think there have been many times in my life as a woman where I've said things that I know are right. Please just always say, as a woman. As a woman. <laughs> okay, sorry. Back to what no, you were no. saying. Where I've said things that I know are right or I know will work. or um, and, and for years and years and years, I, I am dismissed, right? Yep. And uh, so yep. my default has been, okay, well, maybe I don't know everything, you know, and maybe that's okay. So that's probably why I stuff that down sometimes. Yeah, but I told you so. It's so gratifying. <laughs> <laughs> it really can be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hear what you're saying, and there's some level of hubris in this, like, I already know. I know how this is going to play out. And what I see often, especially with my clients, is, like, if you know how it's going to go, then that's how it'll go. Yeah. 
But like, if you know how it's going to go, then that's how it'll go. And that might not actually be how it went, but it will be how you feel how it went. Yes. Yeah. Right. So like what you are looking for, you will experience. Yeah. And to go way back to what we were talking about in the in the level of truthiness. Yeah. Like there's some kind of middle. How do you practice curiosity with also still owning the power that you bring to every situation? Well, let me think. So, <laughs> um, I am, I will say this, I am a generally curious person. I'm interested in a ton of things and I want to know more and I want to know more <laughs> so I can be right. <laughs> so- <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect. <laughs> So there you have it. <laughs> we can just clip this and just put it on your website. <laughs> yeah. I think that's what it comes down to. It was so, yeah. It was so funny. I was talking to um, a friend about um, refugees. We had, we're in our upcoming season, we're going to talk to, or we've talked to um, a woman who, uh, is responsible for a refugee organization in Indiana and just talking about what that looks like in the state of Indiana. And, you know, I think a lot of people are surprised to know and understand all the things that she's going to say in our episode about the number of refugees we receive and the thriving refugee communities that the state of Indiana has. Mm -hmm. Um, but so I was, I was talking to a friend about this and, uh, she said, well, tell me a few things. And I was talking to her and then she had a question and I said, you know, I've actually spent a lot of time researching. <laughs> Colleen's on her phone, like Wikipedia. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm looking at everything. I've actually spent a lot of time reading up. I read opposing opinions. I read the stuff I agree with. I read like, you know, data and facts. I said, because I just want to know everything about what I'm talking about. And she said, yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> I, I know that about you. <laughs> I mean, you're kind of like the the person on the internet who's like, I did my research. Yeah. I don't need to get vaccinated. I did my research. <laughs> I already know that it is actually a chip from the government. Hopefully I'm using my knowledge for good. <laughs> <laughs> but watch out. I could be dangerous. <laughs> Oh, I don't actually think that you're like that. No. But, um, outside of like knowing everything and doing all of the research, mm-hmm. what else works for you to like make things happen? Uh, lunacy. Like absolutely. <laughs> Maybe you could call it hubris. Hubris? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, again, I think I, I do think it's funny. Um, I think I, I don't want to, I don't know how to label it because I feel, I never feel like I'm necessarily confident, but I am really confident. Like, um, and I think that comes with age. And I think that comes with, I mean, a lot of people can be really confident at young ages, but the, my type of confidence I think comes from experience yeah. and what I know and what I've seen and how I've worked and um, so I've reached a stage in my life where, um, I'm willing to take, you know, some risks that other people won't take because I know that if I don't do it now, I'm going to regret it later. And like, you know, aside from wrongful imprisonment, my second biggest fear is regret. And, you know, it's just a terrible partner in bed at night. Yeah. My... I would never say that I'm super confident, although other people think that I am. (laughs) I just am unwilling to not try. Yeah. Like, I don't ever want to be the person who says, that's a good idea, and then lets it go just because it, you know, I decide that it'll, it won't work. Yeah. I'd rather it not work and me try. Yeah. 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 And I, and, um, 
and I think for a for for a while, you know, definitely in my uh, 30s when I had kids, there were a lot of things that I couldn't do that I wanted to do, and I and I couldn't do them because I there were physical human beings who needed me for life sustenance and protection. So what did you um, want to do? I mean, I, I really wanted to continue to pursue um, acting and improv and being on stage. But I, you know, the thought of doing an, an eight week play and rehearsals every night just wasn't going to work with, so I couldn't even audition, you know, it just wasn't going to work with the way my husband and I had our lives set up at that moment. Um, so, and then when, and then, you know, at the same time when I was younger, um, I was afraid, I was terrified of a lot of stuff. Uh, when I was, you know, in, in, um, in high school and college and even in grad school, I was, I was, I was afraid all the time. And I think a lot of that fear prevented me from taking the leaps that I would never second guess now. Mm -hmm. Um, and so with, all of, you know, with that being like my twenties and then my thirties and, you know, early forties, I got to a state in my life where I could be confident of the choices that I was making. And, um, and I wasn't willing to not do them anymore. Mm. Yeah, there is, I do think that there's a tipping point around 35 where fuck it becomes the operating system rather than what's right. Yeah. And we still, like, I think we still have this do what's right operating system or find the right answer or perfectionism or whatever it is. Everyone has, you can't, you can't escape that at some point in your life. Yeah. And when you start operating from fuck it, why not? Shit gets interesting. Yeah, it really does. Yeah. Like fuck it why not can could have given you that play when you were 37 and like who knows what partnership you would have had to create with your husband or with right. your neighbors or whomever to make it happen. Right. Right. You know. So my fuck it came at 30, you know, 43 instead. Yeah, mine came at 36. Yeah. That's good. I also don't have kids. I'm not married. That's so. okay. I mean, it's still a fuck it. <laughs> well, it was kind of like I was, I think I had the waiting for those things to happen. Like, I'll do this when this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that, like, my life was not going to go in the order that it went for a lot of other women. Yeah. I was like, okay. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I hate being a lawyer. <laughs> this is not working for me. I'm not growing. I need to do something different. Yeah. 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 And that's like, you know, that's a lot of training, man. That's a big fuck it, you know? I, you know, being a lawyer is an identity with a capital I. Right? And I think it's the same thing as like being an actor. It is part of who you are. You spend all of your time working towards it, working in it, working around it. And... I think that's true for a lot of pieces of our identity and our society allows for us to accentuate the pieces of our identities that make a ton of money Mm -hmm. and don't allow for us to accentuate the pieces of our our identities that or accentuate our other identities that aren't necessarily commercial. Yeah. And with that said, I still can't shake this I'm a lawyer thing. (laughs) Like, I haven't practiced law in three years. Two years. Two years. I don't know how long it's been. Yeah. Probably 10. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if we're really being honest. I'm talking about my last job. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And, but like, I, I don't think that you have to shed part of who you are in order to become who you want to become. I think if you pretend that that person doesn't exist, then you're really doing yourself and who you're serving a disservice to. Yeah. 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 It's, and I, and so here's where, you know, here's where things get interesting. I do feel to a certain extent, like 
this is the one advantage that women have over men. Hmm. Is that, I think, I think it may be a bigger struggle for men to follow their hearts (laughs) than it is for women. And I'm only saying, and maybe that's just a Midwestern thing. I don't know. But just in my experience and some of the men I know who are my age or who Mm -hmm. are older, um, you know, I know that the, the way they've been reared and what they've been taught to value is very limiting in terms of what they see their actual potential to be. And for some reason, I think women, because, you know, stereotypically we're more emotional as a woman. Um, (laughs) I'm never going to not laugh at that. (laughs) Um, We get, we get, I feel like we get more of a societal pass if we want to explore other sides of ourselves. I think that that is true, like to a certain extent that there is, um, you know, when men choose something, the expectation seems to be that that's what they do. Right. So if you are not 25 when you choose to be a comedian, if you are 36 when you choose it, you're not going to follow your heart and go into comedy right. at that point. But if you're 25 when you choose it, that's your chosen profession, so go for it. Yeah. Um. And I do think that there has to be like a very solid business case to men <laughs> to make any shift. Yeah. It has to be very logical. Yes. This thing is over, so I'll start this new thing. Yes. This, I got fired, so I'll start this new thing. Like there's <laughs> always a if this, then that. Yeah. Um, and I agree with you. I think it's a huge disservice to men. And it leaves us as women – looking at men going, why are you so single? Why are you so one-dimensional? Right. Or are me you- as a single woman trying to debate, date divorced dads, it's like, oh, you have three aspects of your personality, your job, your kids, and the sport that you watch. Wow. Yeah. Or play. Some yeah. of them play. It's like they got to do due diligence just to like take a painting class, you know? Oh, yeah. It's got to be the best painting class. Yeah. Will this painting class help me paint my bathroom? Yeah. Yeah. This is the this is the path that I think this painting class will take me on for the next year. And this is the growth I'll show at the end. <laughs> Here's the materials that I'll need. <laughs> oh, yeah. I do think that the emotional health of men is severely underserved. Yeah. I mean, raising two boys, I am surrounded by testosterone on a regular basis. Um, How are you doing over there? <laughs> I have to tell you, it it really is. I really did think I'd always end up with a daughter. I don't know why. I just thought I was, and then uh-huh. I didn't, and I was happy. I, that's weird. I don't mean <laughs> I was. I was okay. I was okay not having a daughter, uh-huh. um, for a number of reasons. I mean, it would be because <laughs> women be, are nightmares. <laughs> it would be a hell. To watch her go through the same shit I had to go through, you know? Oh, God. Seriously. Um, I mean, I I just... Kids these days in social media, like, I would die if I had to do that. Yeah. Well, I... So I'm... Yeah. My boys... (laughs) So... So I was one of the... I was one of the moms on the playground who everybody really disliked. Um, I did not let my kids have phones until they were 13 or 14. Oh, okay. Um, they weren't allowed to play video games um, that were rated anything other than their age. Oh, my God. I caught so much flack with that. They weren't allowed to, like, log on online to play the video games. They had to buy the actual video games. And I we had a conversation with my youngest the other day about this. And he's like, that was pretty crazy, Mom. I'm like, you know, it was and it wasn't. It was because I understood, you know, he, his, his point was there were other kids doing things that I didn't know anything about. Mm-hmm. And my point was, are you worse off because of it? And neither one, you know, my oldest son has taken himself off social media because he's like, it's just, 
it's a it's a disaster world. Like it makes me feel bad. I identify every time I start to feel horrible. It's because I've spent too much time on social media. My youngest never signed up for anything. Like he's not on Facebook. He's not on Instagram. He's not, he does do Snapchat, but just to get messages from friends. Mm -hmm. Um, so, and both of them are wickedly creative. Like they spent time being bored. Um, and they found other things, you know, they both play music. They both, uh, read a ton, do art, super athletic, lots of sports. So um, and that would have been harder to do with a girl. I just feel like it would have been a lot harder to do with a girl. Yeah. I think um, great work, by the way. No, it's just raising kids who already see the, the <laughs> wasteland that is social media. They're just wise little children. <laughs> They're good Big kids. children. Yeah. They're good kids. They're good kids. I hate social media so much too. <laughs> Not it doesn't make me feel bad about myself. I just feel like you know when we were talking earlier about going in and doing that really exciting thing and it feels so good. You never get that from social media. Never. Never. Like you don't, I don't ever get that satisfaction and sense of self and like purpose. Like I'm changing the world because I had an Instagram post get 67 likes. Right. It's, it's, and that's another beast. Um, because in the world of performing anything and promoting anything, yep. you have to have a social media presence. And I do not excel at social media mm-hmm. at all. And, um, <laughs> Janice, Janice said I had to have my own comedy page on Facebook. I'm like, look, I don't want to do it. She's like, no, no, you have to do it because I, I have to be able to tag you because Janice handles all of our uh, social media. Thank God for defending Indiana, our podcast. So she's like, I just had, just please. She's like, it'll be okay. I promise. I'm like, okay. And so <laughs> I created my comedy page and you know, I have like 20 likes like, or 20 followers, you know, whereas like my regular Facebook page, whatever, tons of people, half of whom I don't even know. Um, but, uh, you know, one of my fears with, when, when I was setting this up, I said, Janice, people are not going to follow me and it's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> it's going to make me feel real bad. And she's like, it's going to be okay. That's not why you're using it. You're using it so you can be tagged for other things. And I was like, okay, just focus on why I'm using it. So every time I get on social media, I have to focus on why I'm using it. Mm-hmm. I'm using it to promote myself, to promote something else, to promote a show. Um, to, I mean, people send messages on Facebook, right? I don't have Facebook on my phone. I don't Neither want it on I. my phone. I took the Neither app off. I. Like, I don't even have Instagram on my phone. My son does all my Instagram posts for me. So, um, so I have to check on my desktop FaceTime or Facebook if I want to, you know, people book me through shows sometimes through that. So that's why I have it. That's the other piece of the Chicago comedy scene that is super set up for not mental health is that everything is done on Facebook. Yeah. Like all of the group pages, yeah. all of the open mic listings, yep. like all of the networking. If you show up on somebody's post and you like and comment on their posts, then they're going to think that you're active in the Chicago comedy community, right. even if you haven't done a show in four years. Right. Um, okay. Well, <laughs> as we wrap up. Oh, wow. Because <laughs> it's been almost an hour. <laughs> what? What's some terrible advice that you've gotten? Um, one time my, um, my, my family's housekeeper told me to make coffee out of my bath water if I wanted to make a man fall in love with me. So I think that was probably the worst advice I've Holy ever shit, heard. That is, that is some right? witchy, gross ass shit. <laughs> Can you imagine? She's like, she said, here's what you have to do. I don't even, I mean, it's, this is such a gross story. Do you want to hear it? I do. Okay. So she said, um, she said, I'm going to tell you how to make a man fall in love with you as a woman. Um, she said, if you, if you get draw a bath, just make it plain water, no bath oils, no bath salts, no bath, bubble bath or anything. She said, and then just get in and soak. 
10, 15, 20 minutes. And then when you get out, <laughs> take a picture and fill up the picture with the water from the bathtub. And then use that water to make coffee <laughs> for the man you're interested in. Oh my God. She told this to my sister and I, and I, I just, it was one of the just wackiest things. So that's the worst advice I've ever heard. I mean, is it terrible advice? I don't. <laughs> Wait a minute, does that work? I don't know. I bet who's going to try it out. So one of one of the thirty people who listen to this will definitely try it. Wouldn't that be amazing? I want to know. Oops, I'm sorry. I just dropped something. Um, I want to know if um. If it really works. Well, so I can see how like from a from an energetic witchy place, it would. Okay. Right? Because like you're just giving yourself into the water, you're rinsing yourself off. The mm-hmm. coffee would mask all of the grossness. You're boiling it, so it's not really gross. <laughs> and then that man is taking you in and drinking you in. <laughs> Wow. Like all of a sudden they're in love with you. Right. I mean, it probably won't be a sustained relationship. (laughs) Not unless you keep doing it. You keep making coffee out of your bath Like witching somebody into like, (laughs) but you know, I follow a couple of witches on Instagram just Uh because I think that their art is really cool. Like the art of spell work is really amazing to me. And what they'll say is like, you can't make anyone fall in love with you if it's not in the their best interest and your best interest. That makes sense. So love spells like won't fuck up the universe. Like they won't work if they're if they would fuck up the universe. Yeah. And I like to think that yeah. that's probably true too. Yeah. So maybe it's terrible gross advice because then you'd have dirty bath water in your fridge until that dude shows up. Right. And that's <laughs> unpalatable. I mean, I have some gross iced coffee in my fridge from like three months ago. I'm like, I should probably throw this up. But it's it's not dirty bath water. No. No. Or is it? Will you know, Colleen? I am a witch. Okay. Uh, Any support that you are looking for, like what would be supportive for you? Um, if, if, if I am looking for somebody to convince my children that they, there is value in putting folded laundry into drawers. Like if I could find something, I'll I'll tell them there's, it's my youngest tells me, why would I even put it away? I'm just going to wear it. If somebody could get through to him and just convince him that it's okay to put this stuff away. I can I can do that for you, Colleen. That's the support I'm. I mean, today, like that's the most acute support that I need. <laughs> like today, long term. <laughs> Have you told him about like visual clutter creating oh. emotional clutter? He has. Um, he has philosophical reasons. Again, they didn't play video games, so he's thought. <laughs> it's given him a lot of time. You really shot yourself in the foot there, Kyle. Absolutely. Because now he's all philosophical. About like, why oh would we God. waste our time? And how are we spending our time? And is it really worth our time? And I'm on the other side going, yeah, it's worth your time. You need to be able to see a clear space. He's like, I can think clearly without a clear space. I was like, all right, I'm just, you're 17. I'm going to just walk out now. That's probably the best. I mean, that's like good for you. Right. <laughs> Maybe it's his bathwater. Maybe he's trying to make oh. a girl fall in love with him by just leaving everything about him out. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Potentially. That could that could be true. I could tell my kids <laughs> that bathwater story and they thought that was like one of the funniest things they've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, it is hilarious. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna research this now. Okay. I'm gonna go on Reddit. Witchy bathwater love potion. I love that. <laughs> okay. Uh, listen to Defending Indiana. Oh, thank you. What else? What what shows do you have? Um, I've got, well, um, in September next week, I have a show at the Kedzie Inn, the comedy tub. 
mm-hmm. the Kedzie Inn on Thursday night. Uh, That's a, such a shol- solid show. I love that, and I, you know, it's just it's a it's a it's a room full of love. That one, I really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Um, and then I've got some shows coming up in October. A couple at the Lincoln Lodge, um, one at the Bug House Theater. Uh, there fundraiser on October 10th. Um, and then I have a big show that I love doing every year. If anybody is in Indiana, in Indiana, in Indiana, in, 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 that's like in, 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 my mouth not working. In, 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 um, in Indiana, uh, in Michigan City, I do an annual show called Waves of Laughter. Uh, it's a big show. And that is November 5th. And tickets are on sale now. And it's going to be a really fun show. So that's Yay. what I'm really pushing. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Last question. How will you know when you've succeeded? Um, when I'm feeling inspired every day by the collection of people I have around me and together we're making things that bring joy and entertainment to other people's lives. So feeling like, I'm an ambassador of joy through the work that I create. You need to write that down. Okay. Ambassador of joy through my work. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much, Colleen. Thank you for doing this show. Erin, you're so wonderful. I miss seeing you. (laughs) Thanks. I'm here. I do this all the time. Just sit here in front of this cactus painting. Love it. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much, Colleen. Thanks, Erin. This is Not Advice is brought to you by me, Erin Conlin. If you are interested in learning more about my coaching practice or how we might be able to work together, please visit erinconlin.com. This podcast would not have happened without production support from Cedar Cathedral Narrative Studio.